Good evening, City Light U. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, I got one person alive out there. Thank you, Joshua. Hey, can we give it up for the band? That was good stuff. What a wonderful, wonderful song. That one gets me pumped up. But uh, anyways, how are you guys doing tonight? Okay, we have like six people in the audience tonight. I'm glad to hear that. Um, Having some technical difficulties. There we go. Uh, So anyways, my name is Andrew McGill, or McGill for those of you who know me. Or if you don't know me, my name is also McGill. Just forget my first name altogether. Uh, The reason I lost my first name is because I used to play football uh, down at Nebraska Westland. And much like the military, you just kind of lose your first name. Plus, I've been doing ministry with Andrew Rutten, and he's, like, more important than I am, and so he gets called Andrew all the time. Uh, but, yeah, anyways, my name's McGill. I've been here since the beginning, which is almost four complete years ago. Yeah, yeah, there we go, there we go. Um, I also just got married. And let me tell you, fellas, there is hope out there. Uh, I, was, I was in a rough spot, and the good Lord sent, pretty sure she's an angel, down to marry me. She's wonderful. Uh, we're, all, oh, yeah. uh, we're actually almost married, so she doesn't actually get back until Thursday, but we got married, and then went on our honeymoon, and then she left for a mission trip in the Dominican Republic for, like, the past three weeks. And so, like... I'm married, but not like really married yet, but I get to be married on Thursday, so I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, tonight, we're going to continue our study through Hebrews, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Father in heaven, uh, would you be glorified tonight? Uh, Would we not just sing with empty hearts? Would we not just listen with uh, deaf ears? But would you uh, soften our hearts? Would we hear your voice, and would our hearts be softened to you? And uh, would your presence be felt here tonight? And we pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. So tonight we have a large portion of text from the book of Hebrews. Our text is picking up in Hebrews chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Or if you have your phone, go ahead and flick flick over there. Uh, We are going to be in Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7, and going all the way through chapter 4. So buckle in and uh, let's get after it. Um. And as we read our text tonight and talk through it, there, there are three kind of things that I want us to, to pay attention to. As we go through it, I want you to, to look for words that have something to do about belief or unbelief or faith or along those lines. And I want us to look at obedience or disobedience. Look for words that look like that. And then something about rest or lack thereof rest whether it be eternal rest when you die or just like not doing anything, which is what I'm really good at. Uh, So picking up in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, we'll read. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw, me, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was pro- provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. 
as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So our passage tonight kicks off with a quote. Can anybody tell me where this quote is from? You can consult Google if you would like, or if you have your study Bible, it should probably tell you in that. Somebody shout it out. Psalm 95. Ooh, from the middle, my boy Morty, kicking it in. Love it. Yes, it's Psalm 95. And so what is the psalmist talking about here? Is he just pulling words out of thin air, or is he talking about something? Where, where would we maybe check? Somebody just yell, Exodus. Exodus, excellent job. Thank you, Skylar, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so it, it comes out of Exodus. It's telling the story of Exodus, right? But more than that, more specifically, he is talking about the Israelites post-Egypt, pre-promised land, where they're wandering around the desert, you know that 40-year span like that? Shake your head, yes or no? Yeah, okay, good. So you guys are hip on it. So that's who we're talking about tonight. That's who the psalmist is talking about in this passage, and that's who the author of Hebrews is quoting. He wants to to bring up this idea of the Hebrews that came right out of the Red Sea into the wilderness right before they crossed over into the Promised Land into Canaan. And more specifically than that, he wants us to think of the first generation of people that were led in the wilderness because... That people did not actually make it to the promised land. Did you know that? Did you know that they died in the desert and that only their kids could go into the promised land? But we'll get into that here in a little bit. Another kind of cool thing I want to uh, point out in this text is, he's, is the author of Hebrews is saying, it uh, brings up 40 years. Well, the book of Hebrews was actually written about 40 years after the death of Christ, after the, after the Jewish people crucified Christ. And so I wonder if that was accidental. It wasn't. I promise it was not accidental. It was kind of cool because 40 years, they talk about the hardened hearts of the Israelites in the desert. Well, then the author of Hebrews is writing to Israelites 40 years after they killed Christ about not hardening their hearts. That's a pretty cool parallel right there. I read that in a book. Uh, But anyways... So this author is bringing up a specific moment within history, and he's trying to bring forth in the mind of the Hebrew listeners the post-Egypt, pre-promised land, first-generation Egyptians, or Israelites, excuse me. They were slaves to the Egyptians their entire lives. These are the Hebrews that God heard their cries and sent Moses to deliver them from the Egyptians. These are the same Hebrews that were generationally oppressed in slavery for 400 years. Now imagine your work week when you someday graduate, if you graduate. Uh, I do put in that caveat because it's taken me quite a while to graduate from college. But uh, imagine your work week, right? Now imagine never having weekends. And now imagine four generations down the line They still have no weekend. So your work week is 400 years, and you don't have anything to show for it. That's the Israelites that this author is trying to bring forth in our mind, right? And these are the same Israelites that saw all of the plagues, all of the incredibly miraculous things that God did through Moses and Aaron, where Moses, like, approached the Red Sea, and it was like, split, and the Red Sea split. Like, I'm pretty sure I would just go like, ta-da, check that out. 
But then they walked through dry land all the way through, and then the Red Sea crashed over them, over the Egyptians who were pursuing them, killing all of the Egyptian pursuants. And then in Exodus 15, this is what they, uh, what they sang out. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. These Israelites are the ones our text in the Hebrews is talking about. So the scene, these Hebrews, former slaves, were wondrously brought out of Egypt into the land which was a desert. But God had promised Abraham almost 500 years prior to this point that they would enter into the promised land, that they would have a land all to themselves. And so there was light at the end of the tunnel, and it was, I think it was probably about 200 miles away from their exit into Egypt, into the promised land. And so you, you, you take like hundreds of thousands of people, roughly two years it should take to walk that took them 40 years. But why? Why did it take them 40 years? And it was because of their disobedience. So, in verse 12, take care, brothers, back in Hebrews, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And so the language in in Hebrews, in these few verses, it's talking about a journey, right? The, The phrase, leading you to fall away, it's imagery of walking along a mountain and somebody leading you to the cliff and you falling over. That's being led astray. So how are you led astray? Text says, through an evil, unbelieving heart. An evil, unbelieving heart leads to a hardened heart. And what happened to the Israelites in the desert after their hearts were hardened? They stayed in the desert. They died. The first generation, they died in the desert because of their hardened hearts. The ones that were led out of Egypt who saw all the miraculous things done through Moses by God, the parting of the Red Sea, they get out into the desert, bread literally drops from the sky. That'd be pretty cool. I had to go to the store last night to pick up some bread. Did not drop out of the sky, right? These Israelites are led astray through their evil, unbelieving hearts. And they die in the desert. But... These Israelites did not start off with hard hearts, though, did they? Remember what we read in Exodus 15? They they sang, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he 
has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Those don't sound like hard hearts, do they? Imagine if they held fast to that attitude, where they were singing the praises of God and recognized God as their salvation. They would have probably traveled through the desert, being led by God and through God's servant, Moses, into the promised land because God is faithful and he keeps his promises. God told Israel through Abraham, promised him, like, I will take you and your descendants into the promised land. You will inherit this land. But they forgot sometime. And then God shows up through Moses, delivers them, and then they remember for a short time, but they don't hold fast to that, right? They were led astray by the deceitfulness of sin. And what boggles my mind is they literally had bread dropping from heaven. How cool is that? Yet they forgot that who was sending bread to them. So they started off the right way, immediately singing God's praises for his salvation, but got swept away by their disobedience to God's word and his messenger Moses. So why does this matter? Why is the author of Hebrews bringing this to our attention? Why is he using this imagery? And and it's because the author of Hebrews offers this story of Israel as a warning to us today. Because he says right here in the text, we are to exhort one another every day, lest we are led astray by the deceitfulness of sin. We are also to hold on to our original confidence, just like the Israelites when they came out. They were supposed to hang on to that confidence that they had in God when they said, he is my salvation. I will exalt him. We have to hold on to our original confidence. But our confidence is in the miracle of God's word. So we are to exhort one another with God's word every day lest we forget the promises of God and are led astray by our unbelief. The Israelites heard and saw God work through Moses. All of their needs were provided for, yet they did not hold on to the promises of God. And we have God's word right here. We have it at the touch of our fingertips. And so, at the end there, at the end of the quotation, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so, city like you, tonight, you have heard God's word. We just read part of God's word. So if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then we carry on into chapter 4. So chapter 4 begins the next portion of tonight with a plea to enter into God's rest. Because remember, the Israelites, they left Egypt with the hope of the promised land, with the hope of God's rest on the other side, right? But they never got there through their disobedience. And so the author of Hebrews says, that promise still exists to us today. We still have the promise of God's rest. You can leave slavery and enter into God's rest. And so let's keep reading. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, we who have believed enter into that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works as God did from his. And so that that was a big chunk of scripture right there. And also there's some pretty confusing language within that passage. So so to bring some sort of clarity, we're just going to trace the Israelites through this passage. Okay? Chapter 3 ends with the specific group of Israelites, the first generation in the wilderness, dying in the wilderness because of their disobedience. So they never got into the promised land, God's rest, right? Well, God wasn't about to waste the promised land. He was going to fulfill his promise because he is faithful. And he is always faithful to fulfill his promises. So the second generation of desert-dwelling Israelites were going to inherit the promised land. Joshua, who we see in the text, was Moses' successor. And he is the one who leads them into the promised land. And if you remember Joshua's story, you remember that he was sent actually into the promised land as a spy to check out the land. And he was with a bunch of other people. And when they all came back, everybody else was very fearful. But Joshua saw the land and said, no, God's going to give us that land. And he operated out of obedience and believed in God's word. And so he led the Israelites into the promised land. So with Joshua at the helm of the Israelites, the second generation wilderness Israelites, God dries up the Jordan River and they pass, all the Israelites pass through on dry land into the promised land. That should be a little reminiscent of how the first generation wilderness Israelites came into the wilderness, right? Through the Red Sea on dry land. And you would think that the second generation, the Israelites, would have gone, oh, hey, our parents actually died out in the wilderness because of their disobedience. You would think as they are walking on dry land through the Jordan River that they would have gone, hey, our parents did the same exact thing walking through the Red Sea, right? And you would think after Joshua tumbles the walls of Jericho by blowing into trumpets, you'd think they would have gone, oh, that's pretty cool. I bet God had a hand in that. At least I would think. But they didn't because the story of the Israelites is not filled with God's rest. It is filled with them going into the promised land and warring with all of the nations there. So God's rest is still open. Right? You tracking with me? Oh, good. I love silence. I love that. So the promised land, Israel's rest from slavery was going to be inhabited because God made a promise and he is faithful to his promises, right? So ethnic Israel had the good news come to them. Here's Moses. He's going to lead you out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land. And then they rebelled against God's word and Moses, 
and then they died there. And then the next people followed Joshua, and they actually got to go into the promised land, but they were not faithful to God's word and to his messenger, Joshua, and so they did not enter into God's rest. So who gets to go into God's rest? And hopefully at this point, you guys are intuitive enough to know that God's rest is not a geographical location. Can I get a thumbs up? Thank you. All right. So only those who are faithful and obedient to God's word will enter God's rest. We see that those who are disobedient and unfaithful to God's word definitely do not enter into God's rest. So the only way that you can enter into God's rest is through being faithful and obedient to his word. But this poses a problem to you. We're not faithful or obedient to God's word. Let's read on in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So remember, only the faithful and obedient to God's word will enter into God's rest. And verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Only those who are faithful and obedient to God's word will enter into God's rest. Because God's word pierces all the way down to the core of who we are. That's not necessarily good news. Because even if you're like a good person, like a good moral person, a nice person, a pleasant person, even if you haven't gone out and gotten drunk, or you've never watched porn, or you've never killed a person, even if you never voted for Donald Trump, I went there, or Hillary, I went there too. The word of God cuts down to the deepest level of who we are, and at our very cores, at the division of our soul and spirit, at the division of our marrow from the intentions of our hearts, we're not perfect. And verse 13 says, we are accountable to the word of God, which is perfect. So everyone in this room, you have heard the word of God. We have just read a vast majority of chapter 4 and the rest of chapter 3. You have heard the word of God and you are now accountable to it. So, but whether or not you agree or disagree with the word of God, you stand before it guilty. We are all naked and exposed to the word of God because it cuts down to the deepest part of who we are. And just like the first generation of Israelites, we are disobedient to God's word and we are disobedient to his messengers. So, like the first generation of Israelites, we deserve to die in the wilderness because we have not clung to the word of God. That's pretty bad news, so let's lighten it up a little bit. 
Uh, picking up in verse 14, this is where like a little bit of hope, like you guys should feel, man, that kind of stinks. This is where it gets good, all right? So verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, time, help in time of need. So we stand before the word of God guilty. We are in need of help today. Psalm 95 and the author of Hebrews says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Unfortunately, we are like the Israelites in the wilderness. We can't enter into God's rest because of our disobedience. We have heard the voice of God, yet we have hardened our hearts to it. We, like the Israelites, have seen the miracles of God. We can read about the miracles of God. But we have still disobeyed. We have gone out and gotten drunk. We have had sex with our boyfriend or girlfriend. We did vote for Trump. <laughs> or Hillary. Or in my case, Gary Johnson. The <laughs> fact of the matter is, is we are guilty. We stand outside of God's rest, unable to get in because of our disobedience. But the good news we have a high priest who was perfect and is perfect, who knows our weaknesses, who was tempted yet without sin, who heard the voice of God and did not harden his heart. The high priest offered up a perfect atonement on our behalf. And through his perfect belief, in his perfect obedience, we have a representative that was able to enter into God's rest. And consequently, we are now able to enter into God's rest. But it is not through our own obedience, but through our belief and faith in our high priest who had perfect obedience. So to tie it all up, do you remember why the Israelites could not enter into God's rest? Do you remember why even when they got into the promised land, they still did not have rest. It was because of their unbelief and disobedience. The only way, into, the only way to enter into God, God's rest, is through belief and obedience. Last week, Rutten preached about considering Jesus and how Jesus was better than Moses. Jesus perfectly believed and perfectly obeyed God's word and all of God's messengers. Our obedience and unbelief prevents us from entering into God's rest. However, through our high priest and our faith and obedience to him, we enter into God's rest. So what is it that is required of us? What is required of us is to have faith in our high priest and to have faith in our high priest's obedience and perfect belief. And only then can we enter into God's rest. So let's pray. 
Father in heaven, thank you for giving us a high priest who knows all of our weaknesses, who knows how we have been tempted and yet did not fail. And thank you for giving us him so that we can enter into your perfect rest. God, I pray that uh, tonight we would walk away not trying to do more or uh, be better people, but we would look and consider Jesus who was perfect and who did believe more. And would we find rest in his perfection? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.